One of the reasons why we're so blessed here at the Oasis to have Nicole as our worship leader, and, and I'm going to share this verse, and then I'm going to tie it into what I'm saying here. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness is the one who shined in our hearts to give us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ. When Nicole leads us in worship, I always see Jesus. And that's what true worship is. If we're not seeing Jesus, his face through our worship, then something's missing or something's wrong. And the same thing is true in the ministry of the word. Too often, even in church, we can come to church and we can miss God, in a sense. Somehow, we don't see him, but we see a lot of fluff and a lot of other stuff going on, but we really don't engage or experience God. I'm so thankful that here, when we come to worship, Nicole's trying to get us to see God and to see the face of God, because that's what worship is all about. God has shined in our hearts to give us his light, the light of the knowledge of his son in the face of Jesus. I love that. And the songs we sang tonight just maybe made me be able to just see my Lord and, and see his face in, in a tangible way. Well, Colossians, as we finish up our series in Colossians, Chapter 4, let's be reminded of something. Again, this whole book was written so that God's people would reflect his supremacy. He is to have first place in all things, Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, and that we should be receiving his sufficiency because in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and we have been filled up in him. Therefore, we are made sufficient, we are made capable, we are made adequate through Jesus Christ, and everything that you and I will need to do God's will in this world, we have through Jesus Christ. We are made sufficient. So Paul wanted to remind the Colossians of that, just as he wants to remind us of that, because so often we tend to, even as Christians, look outside of Jesus for what we need, and everything we're ever going to need can be found in Jesus and in our relationship and fellowship with him. And with that said, Paul's also talking here about serving the Lord. And that's one of the ways we, we reflect his supremacy in our lives and receive his sufficiency, because otherwise we cannot serve the Lord effectively. So back in chapter 1, Paul said, I became a servant of the church according to the stewardship of God, verse 25 of chapter 1. Now, the reason I bring that verse up before we get into chapter 4 tonight is because Paul now, in this very last section, is going to name 10 servants of the church. 10 partners in ministry, 10 companions in ministry that he has in his life right now that is serving alongside of Paul. And it is a reminder of something, several things. One, Paul himself did not try to serve the Lord alone, never did. Paul was always part of either one other person, a team like Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Timothy or Paul and Silas, or he was part of a bigger team. But Paul always was ministering with at least one other person. And obviously there were people that came in and out, just as like we're going to see here tonight. But Paul served the Lord with others because Paul wants us to understand something, that it's as much about who we do life and ministry with as it is what we do 
in our life and ministry. Paul even said to the Thessalonians, you are my glory and my crown. And when he said, you're my crown, he, he's picturing the fact that one day when they get to heaven, that he's going to be surrounded by these people that he ministered to and ministered with while here on earth. Now, obviously, heaven's a big place, and there's going to be a lot of people to meet. And obviously, the most important person we're ever going to want to meet and spend time with is our Lord Jesus. We get that. But the Bible teaches us that there's something very precious about the relationships that we have here on earth, and especially with our Christian brothers and sisters, and then taking it a step further, especially those Christian brothers or sisters that we serve the Lord with. There's a special bond that we have with them that we will carry from here on into eternity. And I believe that one day, just as even I look around here and see those that I have ministered with for some for months, some for years now, you and I are going to be in heaven one day, and we're going to be celebrating what God did through us here. We're going to be recalling and recounting what God did through us here. There's going to be uh, times for us to, to just, you know, sort of celebrate and, and all of that. And Paul talks about that to every group of Christians that he wrote to. He's saying, guys, don't miss the fact that who you're doing ministry, ministry with is really important because God has brought you together intentionally. And so Paul wants to call out these ministry companions. Now, again, for many people, I think what's important here tonight is a lot of people just pass passages like this over because they'll come in and they'll start reading, oh, it's just a bunch of names. And yet I've always said, but what if that was my name or your name in there? You'd be like, that's my favorite chapter in the Bible. But here's also what I want to encourage us with. Maybe our names, because of when we were born, isn't included in the Bible. But the Bible tells us that God is writing a story with each of our lives. And God has other books that he is keeping up there in heaven. And I believe that if you and I let God write our story through him and through the power of his spirit, he's going to also have a wonderful story to tell about our life and ministry throughout all eternity, just as he has those people who are included in the Bible, just like these 10 people here tonight. Now, as I started to meditate and study on this passage, I, I divided these 10 people into sort of five different groups. And that's the way I'd like to sort of attack this passage or, or approach this passage tonight, to give it some kind of organization. You're going to see five people that Paul calls out for being faithful. You're seeing one that Paul calls out for being fervent, one for being faltering, one for being fickle, and then two for being forgiven. And each of them has a story. Now, obviously, this isn't their whole story. This isn't the exclusive or the, the, the whole story of, of their life. But this is what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to point out to us so that you and I can somehow benefit from what Paul's talking about here tonight. So let's get into it tonight, looking at these 10 servants of the church, starting in verse 7 with Tychicus. There's a name for you. Tychicus, he says, is three things, a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow slave in the Lord, that Paul's actually going to send this letter back to the Colossians and Tychicus is the one that's going to deliver, hand deliver this letter to the church at Colossae so that they can read it and then pass it on to other churches that we're going to see later. I want you to see, though, these three things that Paul says about Tychicus because they're true of each of us, too, to some degree or another. First of all, he shares his deep affection and love for this man when he calls him a dear brother. It's beloved. It, it is one who is deeply loved. 
one he has a great affection for. And again, you and I need to go. Are there other Christian brothers and sisters that I have that kind of feeling for? That I have that kind of great affection for? That I look at them and I say, you are beloved by me. That God has knit our hearts together as we have come together to serve the Lord. Secondly, he tells about Tychicus, he is a faithful minister. He's reliable. He's dependable. I've always been able to count on him. He's trustworthy. If I've given him something, he's followed through with it. That is so important, obviously, in serving the Lord because God is looking for simply those who will be faithful, those that can be relied on and depend on, those that can be counted on. Moreover, it is required in stewards, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, that a man be found or a woman be found faithful. Faithful. Dependable. Reliable. That's what I want, obviously, people to think of me and say of me, and hopefully that's what you want people to think of you and say of you. We could count on them. They were there. There's something about that that's powerful. And then Paul says, Tychicus is also my fellow slave in the Lord, literally my partner in ministry. And Paul is using this term. It's a little bit different than the normal term for slave. He's saying, we had such a partnership that just because I was Paul, in a sense, the more prominent one, I didn't always call the shots or take the lead. We, we sort of ping-ponged back and forth. And sometimes Tychicus come up with something, and we went with what Tychicus did. And sometimes we went with what I decided to, but it was a true partnership. We, we complemented each other rather than competed with each other. And we did this together. We, we formed a, a two-person team. Tychicus, he's faithful. Next, look up at verse 10. Aristarchus is another one that Paul calls out for his faithfulness. He calls Aristarchus my fellow prisoner who sends you greetings. Now, this is fascinating. As I was studying this, I realized something. This wasn't because Aristarchus was arrested and put in jail for some crime, just like Paul for preaching the gospel. No. You see, in the Roman Empire at that time, you were allowed to basically become a voluntary prisoner. To give up your freedom to go into prison for a time to encourage and to help another prisoner. And that's what Aristarchus did. In fact, Paul's saying, this guy thought so much of me and loved me that he shared in my hardships. He was willing to be in prison with me even though he didn't have to be there because he wanted to minister to me and encourage me and help me and support me while I was under house arrest. I thought, wow. Would I do that for somebody? <laughs> Would I do that for a fellow Christian, in a sense? Would I voluntarily give up my freedom to go to somebody and, and help them? Or would I give up myself at all? Would I make sacrifices? Would I, would I do something that, that would encourage and help and support somebody else? That's what Aristarchus did. And, you know, sometimes we know that there are friends and companions and all of that in our life and, and whatnot and even ministry that are there with us when things are good, but then maybe when things start to go south or, or go bad or whatever, we can't count on them. I love the fact that Aristarchus is, in a sense, being pointed out that he wasn't just a fair-weather friend. 
that, that Aristarchus was someone that was faithful to Paul even when things got yucky and got bad. And, and Paul was in prison because, let's face it, there were many Christians that didn't want to identify with Paul. They, they didn't want to be associated with Paul because they would maybe be afraid that somehow the stigma that was being placed upon Paul would then come to them and maybe they would be arrested and whatever. It's like, we're going to distance ourselves from Paul, just like many people distanced themselves from Jesus when, when the pressure really began to mount against Jesus. No, Aristarchus, he was faithful. Verse 11, another one was Jesus. Jesus was a common name, sorry, back in those days. Can you imagine your name was Jesus? For good and bad. I mean, you know, obviously no one could measure up to that name. But then, too, there was a lot of stigma to that name, you see. Because of the way Jesus went out and the way he died and all of that. In fact, we're told here about Jesus that he was called Justice, and that he sends greetings. And just like Mark and Aristarchus, the three all grouped together there in verse 10 and 11, they were the only Jewish converts at the time who were Paul's fellow workers. Now think about that. They composed basically a small Jewish remnant of believers. Why is that important to point out? Well, because again, in that time in history, the first century, Jewish Christians were being persecuted and ostracized and, you know, their families were turning their back on them and, and, and they were hated. And so to, to stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ as a first century Jew, that, that took a lot of courage right there. And then to hook yourself up with one Paul, that might have even then taken it over the top. But there's something else I'd like to point out about Jesus. He changed his name to Justice in order to create opportunities in the Roman Empire. He didn't want to allow his name or something, in a sense, as trivial as that to some people to be a barrier to God using him in other people's lives. And I thought, wow, again, there's a challenge. Are we willing to maybe make certain sacrifices or certain changes in our life in order for God to use us to reach more people rather than less? Because, again, it's all about Christ is first. He is supreme. And I, I'm going to make whatever sacrifice or whatever because none of us could ever make any sacrifice greater than what Jesus has already made for us. So there's Jesus. Then down in verse 14, good old Luke, our dear, our special friend is what that word dear means, Luke, the physician. In fact, in 2 Timothy 4.11, one of the things that makes Luke special is Paul says at the end of his life when he's about ready to die, only Luke is with me. Luke is one of those friends and companions that was with Paul to the very end. That makes someone special. When you know again that they weren't just with you at the beginning and, and in the, no, they, they were with you all the way through. But there's a couple other things about Luke that point out his faithfulness. One, he gave up a private and lucrative 
position as a doctor, as a physician in those days, because even in those days, if you were a physician like Luke, you could make a really good living at a private practice, so to speak. But Luke gave that up to serve the Lord. And yet Luke, in serving the Lord, was using what gifts and talents and abilities and training he had, but he just didn't get paid as much for it in the Lord's work as he would have in private practice. Because Luke basically became the physician or the doctor for many Christians in the early church, and especially Paul. Who do you think ministered to Paul and bandaged up Paul's wounds when he got beaten and flogged and all of that? It was Luke. Who gave him maybe the medicine to help relieve the pain whenever he was stoned and all that? Luke. Luke used his ability to be a doctor in serving other Christians and in serving the Lord, you see. But then he also used his wisdom, his intellect that God blessed him with, because here was a man that went to school, learned his trade, had to obviously know several languages in that day and age, be able to read and write unlike, you know, many people would. So he was an educated man. And that's one of the reasons why God tapped him to write two books that actually are two of the largest books in the Bible, the Gospel of Luke that we're going through on Sunday and the book of Acts. In fact, if you combine Luke and Acts, they're a big chunk of the New Testament. And God used this man to go with Paul so that he could write not only about the life of Jesus, but also about the missionary journeys that Paul and others took in the first century. Why? Because he was right there. First-hand experience. That was Luke. Luke is a great sort of encouragement to us that we don't need, all of us don't need to be a pastor or a worship leader or, you know, some, something else to serve the Lord. We can serve the Lord by being a doctor or whatever, or a teacher. Whatever God has given us, we can use our occupation, our talents, our abilities, our gifts, the things that we do well, the things that we've been trained to do. We can look for ways to use them in God's service, either to serve the Lord and his kingdom or to serve other Christians in some way, just like Luke did. One other one that comprises the five faithful here, she's the only gal in the list, but she's one that occupied a critical role in the early kingdom. Her name is Nympha, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters who are in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. It's no small thing, even in that day, to regularly open up your home as the fledgling church was growing before it started meeting in buildings like we meet in today, where it outgrew being able to meet in a home. And it was huge in that day to have women like Nympha and other many women that we know accompanied Jesus and ministered and actually supplied many resources and stuff to, again, the early band of disciples. They couldn't have done it without those gals. 
And those gals had great gifts of being able to teach and prophesy and lead worship and prayer warriors and all these other things. But here, Paul is simply pointing out, Nympha opened up her home, and that was huge. And we might, you know, not think so, but that's huge. To have that gift of hospitality, to to open up our home, to have Christians over, to use your home as a tool or whatever resources God gives you, however he has blessed you, Again, to be a blessing, to bless others. That was Nympha. So in this last part of the passage, before Paul wraps this up, he wants to say to everyone, I couldn't have done this without them. We were all in this together. And I appreciate and admire their faithfulness to the Lord. We were fellow soldiers fellow workers in the kingdom. There's somebody else that Paul mentions, and this one I call the fervent. It's verse 12. His name is Epaphras. And Epaphras is actually in prison with Paul, probably because he was along with Paul preaching the gospel. And notice what Paul says about this fervent man. He is one of you a slave of Christ, totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. And he's greeting you along with me from prison. And here's where his fervency comes in. If you ever wanted to see an example of what we call a prayer warrior in the Bible, it's this man. This man... His ministry was all about praying. That, that, if somebody would have said, what was Epaphras known for? Prayer. Because I think even though each of us is Christians, we, we obviously need to be balanced in the things that we do for the Lord, but there's going to be certain things that we're just known for. You know, Epaphras was known for being a prayer warrior. And notice what it says about him. He is always struggling in prayer. It means agonizing, straining every muscle. You could also use the word wrestling here. And it reminds us that really to be an effective prayer warrior, you and I have to realize that prayer is a battle. It's a battle against our own flesh. It's a battle against the devil because he doesn't want Christians praying it's a battle. It's a, it's a battleground to enter into prayer. And Paul is saying, I saw this man with my own eyes struggling day after day in prayer for you back in Colossae. He agonized in prayer. He strained every muscle in prayer, interceding on your behalf. Whoa. That's a challenge to me. That's a challenge to me. Do I pray? Yes. Do I pray like that? Most of the time, no. I need to be more like Epaphras, not give up so easily in prayer. Be more like Jesus. Get into that garden and just fight it out and stick with it and grab a hold of God and don't let go until you're done. And notice that Epaphras' prayer ministry is not just making requests and asking for things for himself to God. 
But what stuck out, stuck out to Paul was the fact that he was always interceding and praying on behalf of other Christians, especially those in Colossae, because he was one of them. He was from that church. He knew them. He had relationships with those people. And even though he was far away, they were on his heart every day, and he was agonizing in prayer for them. And here's specifically what he was praying for that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. To stand mature means to be wholly devoted, fulfilling our purpose that God created us for, and fully assured, meaning confident in carrying out whatever God's will is. So not only being devoted to the will of God, but confident that if I take that on, whatever God's will is, God, again, is sufficient to let me carry that out. That's what Epaphras was paying, praying for. So here is an example of one who is fervent. Let's talk for a moment about one who's faltering. At the very end, in verse 17, Paul says, And tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry you received in the Lord. The reason I say faltering is because the language here Paul is using is make sure when you see this guy, give him encouragement because he's, he's faltering. He needs to finish. He needs to see it through all the way to the end. It sort of reminds me of that verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't give up or faint. Archippus, the impression is he's growing weary. He's losing his spiritual stamina. He needs somebody to, in a sense, get in his face in a loving way and say, come on, man, just keep on going. You've just got a little bit further to go. Finish it out. Cross the finish line. Be like Paul was. When he said in 2 Timothy, I fought the fight, I finished the course, I kept the faith, I, I ran through the finish line, I didn't stop doing what God's called me to do until it was over, until God said, done, finish. So often as human beings, forget just Christians, we're very good about starting something but not seeing it through, all the way through. We're good at starting a lot of different things, but what about finishing it? God wants to see strong finishers. And God wants us to be so fully assured and confident in what his will is that we don't just start it, but that we see it all the way through. Because he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God, he'll be with us all the way to the end. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, even into the end of the age. So God is with us all the way to the end. He wants to see us finish well. Not just start well, but finish well. I'll also say this, though. There are many Christians I encourage with this. You may not have started off well in life or even in your Christian life. It's more important how we finish than how we start. And we still got time to finish well. That's the message to the faltering archipus. Then look at the fickle, up in verse 14. After he says, our dear friend Luke, the physician, sends greetings, he also says, and Demas. 
In fact, we've got time. Keep your finger there. Go over to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 10. I want you to see this for yourself. Demas. So Demas at one time was faithful. He would have been in the faithful, but I put him in the fickle because, yes, he was faithful now. But notice what Paul says about him in verse 10 of 2 Timothy 4. For Demas deserted me since he loved the present age. Demas, unlike Luke, didn't stay with Paul all the way to the end. Demas, unlike the encouragement to Archippus, didn't see his ministry through all the way to the end. And it is a reminder to us that our faithfulness, both as God's children and especially as servants, is a very fluid thing. Just because I'm faithful now doesn't automatically mean I'm going to be faithful next month, next year, 10 years from now. It's, that's why you and I need to make sure that our relationship with Christ and fellowship with Christ always stays current and fresh because you and I all know either in our own lives or in the lives of other Christians that we can look at that they were just like Demas. There was a time in their life where they were faithful to the Word of God and faithful in prayer and faithful in worship and faithful to the house of God and faithful in service, but not anymore. The fire went out somewhere along the line, and something else captivated them other than Christ, which is exactly what happened to Demas. He started to love the present world more than he did the world to come. He got his eyes off the prize. He lost his eternal perspective. He stopped investing in eternity and started thinking it was just all about the here and now, and he got distracted and so this is sort of a cautionary tale for all servants of God. Yes, at one time, Demas was right there with Paul. But somewhere along the line, something changed. And so it, it should be a, a motivation to us, an inspiration to us to just keep on keeping on. And to know that that possibility is always out there. None of us are, are you know, too strong to fail, if you will. If we don't keep fellowshipping with the Lord every day and, and, and being around other Christians and, and being involved with the worship and the word and being strengthened and growing as a Christian, we can be right there one day just like demons. And then finally tonight, I'd like to point out the two forgiven. And these are beautiful stories, both of them. Back in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, I sent him with Onesimus, again calling him that faithful, that reliable, dependable, and dear, beloved brother who is also one of you. If you know anything about the New Testament letter of Philemon, then Onesimus' name is very familiar to you. In fact, that's what the whole letter of Philemon was written about. Onesimus was a runaway slave someone who had been a servant of a man named Philemon. And somewhere in his running away, God providentially had him meet up with the Apostle Paul. And through Paul, Onesimus became a Christian. And so Paul 
as he begins to disciple Onesimus and see Onesimus's heart and see Onesimus grows, he sends a letter back to Philemon basically saying, I know this man did something wrong, but I'm asking you as a brother in Christ now because he became a brother, will you forgive him? And if he owes you anything, if he ran away with something, if he stole something from you, I'll repay it, Paul said. Will you forgive him? And will you restore him and begin to treat him as a fellow brother in Jesus Christ? God not only obviously forgave Onesimus, but these Christians forgave Onesimus and welcomed him into their fellowship and allowed him to be a great servant of the Lord. It is a reminder that our past should not define our service for the Lord. Do not let your past failures and things that you have done keep you from doing what the Lord is calling you and asking you to do. Don't let the enemy define you. Let God alone define you and your life. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ wipes away all of our sin. God casts our sin into the depth of the sea to remember it no more. He has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. He has pardoned us completely, past, present, and future. We are standing forgiven in Christ. We have also been dressed and robed in his righteousness. And when God the Father looks at us, he does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Forgiven. Don't ever get over being forgiven. And then Mark, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions if he comes to you. Welcome him. Throw out the welcome mat for this young man. Oh, no, wait a minute. Again, if you know your New Testament, you know, wait a minute, Mark? Isn't this the same Mark that Paul and Barnabas had that big stink about in the book of Acts? Yes, absolutely right. If you recall the story, Mark was along with Paul and Barnabas as they were on their missionary journey. And Luke informs us in the book of Acts that Mark deserted them and left the missionary team. Later on, when they were getting ready to go somewhere else, Mark wanted to rejoin the team, and Barnabas wanted him to come along. And Paul said, no, 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 no. no. What we're doing is too important here. And again, I, you can see both sides of it. I, I see Paul's perspective on why he said, no, I, I don't think that's the best decision, but I can also see Barnabas's perspective as well. I don't think it's, a, again, a either or. I think it's a both and. But what the Bible does say is that this disagreement was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they split up and went on their way. But that's not the end of the story, is it? because God's always working. And somewhere along the line, God got a hold of Mark, or Mark got a hold of God, 
and became a faithful servant. And so somewhere along the line, sort of flipping what happened to Demas, Mark now, who was not part of Paul's team, and Paul didn't want him to be part of Paul's team, now is part of Paul's team. Because I'm sure there had to be some forgiveness given by Paul and by Mark in that situation, you see. The forgiven. In fact, if you just turn over back over to 2 Timothy to chapter 4, verse 11, for just a minute, and then we'll come back to Colossians and close tonight. This, this is such an encouragement. In 2 Timothy 4.11, again, Paul's at the end of his life. And he says in verse 11, only Luke is with me, but notice who he asks to come at the very end of his life. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is a great help to me in ministry. Wow. A change took place. Repentance took place. Because why? Because God, through forgiveness, is the God of second chances. And God not only gives us second and third and however many chances in our own life, but he wants his people to give other people second chances and third chances and infinite chances as well. And Mark and Onesimus stand out amongst these ten, especially just as a story of the forgiveness of God and, and the second chances that God brings into our life, even to serve him and to, and to be around other believers and to fellowship and to be discipled and to be a discipler. Mark is a great help to me. Well, that's a big difference from, I don't want him as part of my team anymore. Hearts changed. Because when you and I allow the heart of God to begin to to invade our heart and to shape our heart, our heart becomes like God's heart. And we then understand if God has forgiven me for all that I have done against him, how can I not forgive others for the sins that they have done? And that restores the fellowship. Well, I want to end with this. If you go back to Colossians chapter 4, notice how Paul ends this great letter. After bragging on and complimenting and commending and affirming these companions in ministry. And it's important that we verbalize our appreciation and affection for our brothers and sisters and our fellow servants. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting by my own hand. Remember my chains means enter into my imprisonment with me. Not in a sense of feeling sorry for Paul, but actually to be encouraged. Paul wants them to be encouraged by the fact that look what God is doing even though I'm in prison. And then he says this, grace be with you. What's grace? Grace is nothing more than God's sufficiency. And Paul is simply saying, let God's sufficiency be your constant companion. Take it everywhere you go. Don't leave home without it. Don't go anywhere without God's grace. Because in this letter, Paul has taught us over and over again that as Christians and as servants of the Lord, we should always be reflecting his supremacy, 
He should have first place in everything, and we should be receiving his sufficiency because in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and we, we've been filled in him. So our lives should be reflecting his supremacy and constantly and continually receiving his sufficiency. Let's pray. Oh God, what a privilege it is to serve you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is nothing that could bring our earthly lives more dignity and honor than to say we are servants of the Most High God. And yet, God, one of the joys of serving you on this earth is not just in our service and what we do for you, but who we do it with. God, truly, it is those that we are beside as we minister for you that bring us also great joy, that we receive so much from their life, from their friendship, from their partnership, that we are blessed, that we are encouraged, that we are refreshed, that we are supported, just like Paul was by his fellow companions. I pray, God, that there would be those in our life that would be able to say that of us. And I pray, God, that we would be able to be that for others. Because, God, that's who you've called us to be. God, would you burn the truth of this letter into our hearts so that, Lord, even though we've closed the book on this letter, we would carry it with us and take the message of Colossians with us each and every day so that Jesus Christ may have first place in everything that we do and that we may know as your children, God, that we have everything that we need in you as well and that we can carry your sufficiency with us into every situation, every circumstance of life and that there's nothing, God, that is beyond us because there's nothing, God, that is beyond you. Encourage us, God, as your people and as your servants, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. God bless.